it comes about being in tune with what your personal strengths are, as well as what your passions are, as well as what your values are. And if your life is lined up with all of those, it does become easier because when you're asked to do a project, you don't have to study and figure it out because you've already got it innately in you. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 50 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Reverend Susanna Goulder, who is a life purpose coach. Susanna helps people remove obstacles to step into the life that they were meant to live. She specializes in helping entrepreneurs and professionals quiet their minds to align with their innate strengths and purpose. Susanna helps organizations with women's initiatives. Her timely, highly interactive programs help organizations understand the distinct and separate rules of gender communication that are a key factor to increasing success, retaining top talent, and increasing profits. Suzanne is the Life Purpose Coach and President of Live Your Good Life Coaching. She is also a visiting faculty member of the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland. Susanna left her successful career in motion pictures and television and entered the seminary to lead a purpose-driven life. Susanna was the original set decorator for Sex and the City. In this insightful episode, we talk about her time as the original set decorator of Sex and the City and the tremendous amount of work and thought that goes into set design. Even though she had it all and everything looked good on the outside, but inside, she felt like a square peg in a round hole. Now the challenge becomes that you start beating yourself up. But the ultimate challenge is to not beat yourself up and to start to listen to ourselves. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that one of my goals with this podcast is to help you begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can better connect with others and create meaningful relationships. To be successful at this change, you need to make it a habit. And research has shown that it takes 66 days to create a habit, not 21. That's why I created the Yes and Challenge, to help keep these principles in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the Yes and Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag yes and challenge. If you're unsure of what the yes and challenge is all about, I discuss this in greater detail in episode zero. So go back and take a listen. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is no joke. Use the improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life for $14.99 and the shipping is free. 
Please go to my website and you'll see the graphic on my homepage. Please allow up to 14 days for shipping. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at pmargaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my name and on Instagram by searching pmargaritas. With that said, let's get to the very informative interview with Reverend Susanna Goulder. Susanna, thank you so very much for being a guest on my podcast today. I've been so looking forward to our conversation. And me as well. We go back, oh, many, many years, I, I guess, Susanna, from uh, really from our, our relationship at the National Speakers Association Ohio chapter. Yes. How lucky we are. <laughs> how lucky we are. Well, how lucky I am. We'll figure the other side of it out, That if you're lucky with having me as one of your colleagues and cohorts and stuff. <laughs> well, we'll figure that out today. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Susanna, could you uh, tell the audience your story? Tell us about you. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Well, I am Reverend Susanna Goulder, and I'm president of Live Your Good Life Coaching. And what I do, well, you know, essentially, everybody here, all of us, comes down to we want to be happy. We want to live a life that supports happiness. And in my journey of life, that's really what I was seeking from a very, very young age. Peter, when I was probably about nine, I was in the auditorium at Sunday school. And and I might have been even younger. I might have been seven, for all I know. But I was walking across the stage, and it's interesting it was a stage. (laughs) And all of a sudden, as a little girl, just playing and in Sunday school, I stopped dead in my tracks. And I looked at all the people, the kids, and all of everything around me. And this thought came in. Do you know those experiences where once in a while a thought bigger than who you are comes into your mind? And in that moment, it was as my heart stopped, everything stopped. And there was a thought that said, why are we here? And there was something in me that realized there was no actual reason for us being here, that it was actually somewhat unusual for beings to be living. And for that moment in that very young mind, I I realized there was a mystery to life. And why was I here? And then in a blink of an eye, I was back into my action, running around with the kids and chasing kids around. But that moment stuck with me. Wow. As I, yeah. Did you ever have an experience like that? Not at nine. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's the part that just, I, I didn't know that about you, but just kind of uh, it blows me away that you would have that cognizant of a, of a, of a memory of a thought at, at nine years old that's so impactful. It, what was interesting, it was almost as if time stood still in that moment. And that experience happened. And it was interesting. It was on the stage because 
you know, as I said, people are looking to be happy. Right. And yet in life, there's always clues along the way for us. So it was interesting was on a stage because in my life, my passion was theater and I, I chose, wanted to be an actress. And I was very lucky at my passion for the, for the theater took me to touring the United States and playing Lincoln Center by the age of 17. Wow. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And theater led me to film motion pictures and television. And that's where I discovered my best life in film. And though I wanted to be the great actress of our time, what I found that my best expression in film was as a set decorator. So a set decorator, it's so much fun. The sets were my canvases and set decorating was my art. And basically, if you envision a room, there's the floors, there's the ceilings, there's the wall, everything that is adhered to the ceiling, the floors and the wall has been brought in by the set decorator, every single solitary thing. And so I got to create the environments uh, that that propelled the story of every movie or television show I worked on. And I got to work on pictures with some of the greats throughout my 22 years in motion pictures and television. I worked with Meryl Streep, who's hysterically funny, and Goldie Hawn, who's like a bee to honey with men. It was, my jaw would drop. It was unbelievable. (laughs) Uh, Jack Nicholson, who is just an amazing actor. He makes it look so easy. Kevin Spacey, also 24 hours, seven days a week, a comedian, hysterical. Wesley Snipes, strong man. The guy worked out every day. And Kevin Bacon, who at a rap party asked me to slow dance with him. Yeah. Wow. I got to slow dance with Kevin Bacon. Of course, I have to add, he asked all the other members of my crew as well. There's other decorators in my crew. <laughs> but it was wonderful. He was he was a consummate professional. Absolutely just an amazing man. And I was the original set decorator for Sex and the City, working with the team that created the look of that show. Well, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Did, that, did you just say Sex and the City? Yeah. Wow. The original set decorator for Sex in the City. Yeah. You know, it, but I, I knew that. But when it when you read it on paper, it doesn't have the same power as yeah. hearing it coming coming from you. That's 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 super impressive. I'm like a lack of words right now. That's that's what was that like being the set decorator on Sex in the City? Because if if it's the the, the first season, you, you kind of, you, you've got almost like a license to almost do anything creative because it hasn't been established yet. Is that, would that be a correct statement? It was amazing taking these characters and saying, okay, how can we express their personalities in the sets? And um, we went out and I had four assistants go in the going through all the tri-state area, in other words, it was New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey, going to flea markets and antique stores, thousands and thousands of pictures of options, every single piece handpicked to 
express the personality of Sarah Jessica Parker's Carrie to the point where we looked everywhere just for this coffee table that I wanted. I saw it in my head. Finally, I just had the carpenters built what I saw in my head. Her chaise lounge uh, that's in her apartment. Oh, we looked high and low for it. And when when I I actually saw it on the cover of a book and I said, oh, this is the one I want and you got to go find it. And, uh, you know, to Samantha's apartment and her very, you know, sensual, sexy personality to Mr. Big. I love doing Mr. Big's apartment and uh, creating that, you know, masculine and yet uh, prosperous, very, uh, you know, just who he was. It was a blast. And the production designer was was just a genius, and um, the sets were so much fun. Jeremy Conway was the designer, and he's he's just amazing. So it was it was um, an amazing experience, and have complete admiration for Sarah Jessica Parker as a person. Um, she, she's beautiful woman, not an ounce of fat in any wrong place on her body, <laughs> but more. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, how could it be so perfect? She's perfect body, just perfect. But, um, more importantly, who she was as a person, she was an amazing, she commanded respect of men and women by her presence, extremely kind, and yet she knew what she wanted and was very clear, emanated respect. She, a uh, wonderful person, you, you just wanted to be good around her because she came from the right place. Her heart was always in the right place, very respectful of the people that worked with her, and you didn't feel like she was putting herself on a pedestal. And yet very intelligent, very smart, knew what she wanted, knew how to communicate it, easy to work with. She was wonderful. So you could say she was, um, she found that happiness. She was in the right place doing exactly what her talents were beautifully expressed. And that's what everyone, whether it's an accountant, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's an artist, that's what everyone wants to do is to be in that place where they're expressing their talent, their strengths, and where they're living true to their own values. And at that time, I was expressing myself um, in ways that I, I, I loved. I, w- I owned an 8,000 square foot prop house in Midtown Manhattan. I provided props Whoa. and set dressing to movie theater and television at the same time as, as being a set decorator. Um, And yet, and here's the important thing for everyone that's listening in, and I'm really thinking of you guys right now. Here's the important thing about creating a a life of happiness is that at the same time I was doing all that, and on the outside, it looked great. I mean, I was bringing in the money. I was getting the job that I, you know, had a very successful life. At the same time, there was a part of me that felt a little bit like a square peg in a round hole. And at the time, I only knew that I wasn't exactly happy. I I kept, and I couldn't, I didn't know why. And I kept looking at others and saying, well, they're doing this. Let me try doing what they're doing. 
and she's doing that. Let me try doing what she's doing. And I kept looking outside myself to try and find where I fit in that place and, and say, ah, I'm happy. I love what I, I love life, uh, you know, but at that time, even though it looked good on the inside, uh, it didn't feel good. And I, I didn't know what was wrong. And the challenges, and I'm speaking to people in your listening audience, the challenges when life is like that is that you might start beating up yourself and saying something's wrong with me. And the ultimate challenge is not turning it inward, beating yourself up, but to start to listen. Like I know, Peter, in your book, so much of your book, Improv is No Joke, is about listening well. Exactly. And you teach to listen well with others. And we also need to listen well with ourselves. That's interesting you say about listening to ourselves as that listening skill. Um, but a lot of times when I think about listening, I, I think about and something that you've taught me over the years. It's, it's not about me. It's about the audience. And I, I think that listening, the way I teach listening is, is, is like what we're doing right now. In this interview, I have no scripted questions. I'm listening to the conversation. I'm crafting it out maybe what my next question or jotting some notes down to to be able to move the conversation forward. But I don't think we do that well when we try to listen to ourselves. I think it takes a lot more effort um, and, and maybe even more than effort, patience. You know, it's... It's effort, it's patience, but it's also understanding the species that we are and where we are in our evolution. Stanford did a, a study of the brain. And what they saw, and, and most people know that there are two hemispheres of the brain. There's the left and the right hemispheres of the brain. And that the left hemisphere is the one that is very practical, pragmatic. It um, makes sure you're safe survival-oriented um, and analytical. The right hemisphere is the creative side. It's where inspiration comes from. It's the one that uh, is where passion comes from. And what they did is they looked at the neurons and the neurotransmitters, and they said that the left side of our brains is like superhighways. We are thinking so much on the left and making sure we're doing the right thing. And checking the, the dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And it's a super highway of analysis and also judgment and also being critical because we have to be critical to be safe. We have to look at that hot stove and say, watch out, don't touch it or you're going to burn yourself. So that side of our brain is like a super highway. So what you just described was an accountant, an engineer, that type of profession, per se. It's for all people. And gosh knows what it's like even more. If it's a super highway for the typical average American, for the accountants and the lawyers and the, the engineers, it's probably a super highway into other planets as well. <laughs> I mean, it is the... It is the super highway of the 22nd century. 
it has drones going as well. <laughs> I love that picture you know, that you just is, painted. <laughs> yeah. The thoughts are everywhere. And remember, there, there's a lot of critical analysis going on. So in terms of a personal human being, it's like, are you doing the right thing? Should you be doing this? Why are you doing that? Now, the right side of the brain is also um, a transportation road system. But do you know what kind of road system? In other words, how, how much is that system of thought developed in our brains? Hmm. It's like a dirt path in comparison. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking maybe it was the 35-mile-an-hour speed zone. Uh, but, okay, so it's a dirt path. You know, so as a as a species, we've very much developed the the left brain, but we've underdeveloped the right brain. We're we're out of balance. So as individuals, you know, our challenge is to instead of criticizing ourselves, judging ourselves, and analyzing ourselves, our challenge is to build up that right brain. So it's to take out more time to listen to ourselves, to, to go on a walk and put down the work, to do things that, that, you know, we can listen to ourselves even by doing exercise, going out and playing a game of tennis or going for a jog. Some people jog and it brings great clarity or yoga, whatever it is that takes you out of that left brain, always do this, do that. Are you doing that? Have, did you finish that? You got more work to do today. Let's look at our calendar and fill it up even more. Um, but going out, just having fun. So, you know, a client, let me give a quick example. A client that uh, came to me and we were talking and, and she was at a point where her eyes were dim and she was just, she has a business. She's worked successfully for 18 years and she tried a new initiative and to, you know, it was very much from the left brain. She had been uh, part of Goldman Sachs 10,000. I can't remember the name of it, but she had gone through this whole program with Goldman Sachs. She's tried a new initiative and at, at the end of it, it didn't really work and she was okay with it, but she had all this energy within her and felt like, come on, let's go forward. Let's come up with a new initiative. And she looked flat hmm. and she felt like, how can I hold myself accountable every day for getting things done? We were in this Goldman Sachs program. Now we don't have that group field energy with us anymore. So my team and I were trying to re-energize ourselves. She didn't look energized at all. She looked uh, frustrated and dim. She looked dim. Her energy was dim. Huh. And a lot of suggestions just would bounce off her like, no, that wouldn't work. No, we tried that. No, that wouldn't work. I tried that before. You know, you know how you get that way? Yeah. Yes. You just... It's almost like you give up a little bit. Yeah. You become, you become super critical. It's like, ah, oh, no, that doesn't. That, it, it's almost, you've got, you've created this new bias in your head, that almost defeative type of, of attitude. Yeah. And she didn't realize it. And I don't think we realize it. We think, okay, I'm, I just have to work harder and I'll come to it. We don't necessarily, I'm not sure she never necessarily saw and I love that word you use, that she had a bias 
a defeatist bias. Right. So we were talking and um, we were talking about accountability and she felt left brain. I need to get up early. I need to do this. I need to fill out my day. I need to fill out the week. My team needs to come together. We need to come up with this new brilliant idea and we need to go forward. And I can't give myself a break because this is needed. You know, you know that experience where it's just, uh, it's like I, the picture I get in my head is a, a, you know, the carriage driver whipping the horse with the whip and saying, come on, keep going, keep going. Well, you can see into my house. <laughs> yeah. You can see into my office because I, 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 I get that feeling sometimes. Uh, you, you've got all this stuff that you want to accomplish. And, and well, yeah, and then you get, so the, my super highway must be on steroids because this very task oriented, get things done. But yeah, so, but I, I haven't, I, my eyes haven't dimmed. They're still, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. But uh, keep telling, yeah, but this person sounds like she's, I don't want to say at the end of her rope, but she's just corporate America got her spent. Yeah. And you know, it happens a lot to accountants and engineers, especially accountants, especially in season. I mean, there's so much to do and there's so much expected of you that you've got to go, you've got to produce, you've got to bring in the clients, you've got to get the reports out. There's so much to do and you see others doing it around you. And why can't you do as much or can you do more? There's a lot of pressure. Exactly. There's there's a tremendous amount of pressure. Tremendous, tremendous amount of pressure. And so what I was talking to the to her about, um, because there was so much so much of it on herself, I said, you know, take a look outside for right now. And we turned around and we saw the winter trees in northeast Ohio and they were bare against a gray background. And, you know, they might have one leaf sort of dangling that had been there since the fall, but it is still barren, empty silhouette of branches with nothing, no life on them. And I I asked her to take a look at it. And I I said, is that how it feels right now? She said, you know, it kind of does. It just, I mean, I keep trying to make life come, but, but it's, but it's not coming. What she was wanting to see is the leaves, you know, take leaves and sort of glue them to the trees. I said, you know, but, but on the outside, you see no life, no evidence of life that's ever going to come. We know in our mind that eventually it will, but we don't see any evidence of life. But underneath, there's so much life happening. Underneath, there's a preparation of the seeds and the soil and we can't see all that's happening underneath that's preparing for the spring that will sprout the new growth and the new blossoms. And the same thing is happening for you, I said, and could be happening for people listening right now. There may be people that are listening right now saying, you know, I, w- I want to be happy, but no matter what I do, I'm doing everything to make myself happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or I could be happier, you know. The thing is, is can we move to that stillness? Like there's a stillness of winter. And there may be people on the call right now who there's a stillness in their life that they see a stagnation. And yet underneath within, there's so much happening. But instead of us using the left brain to analyze it, sit down and let's 
let's do the pros and cons of next step analysis. <laughs> Right? right? That's what we do. Let's, yep. What do we do? What do we do about this? We need to fix it. Take a legal pad out. Start writing down. <laughs> <laughs> one size pros, one size cons. Yes. That's right. Right. How do I make a decision about this? What we're invited to is build up this right hemisphere, which says to, you know, go within, be quiet. Y- you know what? Your best life is continually coming to life and watching what's happening in your life will guide you. But you have to be quiet because if you're using your mind to direct yourself, then you're not paying attention to the world around you giving you signs. So in my case, I was in the film business and I had a great life and I could strategize forever how to get further in my career and I had plans for retirement. And yet, it, when I was listening, there was something that wasn't right, and I wasn't happy. Let me, I want to ask you a question first. I, I want, you, you said something about quiet. I, I want you to define quiet, because when you're talking about the right side of the brain and, and, and the creative thoughts and, and versus the analytical, the, the, the dirt highway, is quiet meaning a dark room, lights turned out, no no sounds, or is quiet meaning I've just I, I I've I've stopped that super highway left side and, and I'm doing something to slow the left side and, and re-energize the right. And and I, I ask this in the sense of I get some of my best ideas or I get a lot of ideas when I jump on my bicycle and I go riding. And I, I seem to slow slow <laughs> slow down that left side and, and, and I can, I, sometimes I can see, and maybe it's, it's the, it's the endorphins uh, when they kick in. I, I, I see things a lot differently. I, I come up with more creative ideas. I, I, I don't feel that, that left side dominating me. Is, is that a version of, of quiet? You know, that's a perfect example. And, you know, for the, for the engineers and the accountants that are listening in, these kind of things like hopping on a bike, what you want to do is what bring what is fun for you, something that's fun for you. It, for all I know, it could be video games. But whatever is fun and engages you, um, it's with that client that I was talking to, I said to her, when's the last time you went out and had some fun? Is your work fun for you anymore? And she, she, you could see something really settle in. Nothing was fun for her anymore. And the freedom to think that if she spent time having fun, it actually could resolve her problems in the same way that you go bike riding. I know for me as a speaker, if I start writing a speech and I get stuck, I'll sit there and I'll try and pull it out and figure it out. And I, too, I get on the bike if I get stuck. I don't even waste time trying to push an answer anymore. If I can't figure out an answer, I get on the bike. And within 20 minutes, it's like, oh, like more than one answer, 50 answers come about 50 different things I'm trying to figure out. And so for each of us, it doesn't matter if we're left brain or right brain people. What we want to do is find ways when we get in that stuck time 
where we're, we're, we're pushing at the work in front of us, just step away. You can go for an errand. It could even, quiet time can even be just going out and going for an errand. Just something different. Just something different. Steven Spielberg got some of his best ideas. He said as he was driving, he'd go for a drive. Hmm. And so sometimes when I get stuck, it's like, you know what? Get away from the desk. I have a couple errands to run. Let me run those errands. And then my mind is freed. There's another thing about brain science. If you take your hands and you put your thumb underneath your four fingers, so you bend over your four fingers and you kind of put your thumb horizontally underneath the four fingers. That's somewhat the shape of the parietal lobe, and there's a little space there. That's about as much room as we have for new thoughts and new ideas to come in. So when we're working hard, it fills up. And for different people, it could be different amount of time, and depending on the day as well. It could be an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. But eventually, it's like a sponge that can only take in so much water, and then it can't take in anymore. So if we sit and continue to try to pummel in more information or try to figure out how to put two and two together or uh, complete the analysis you're putting together, you can't anymore. And it's those times where your best productivity is stepping away and doing something else. And then it lets that sponge release some of the liquid and make room for more. I, I like that analogy. I, I really do because I, I very much can relate with that, that when I get stuck in, in whatever I'm doing, I, I, I have learned to step away from the spreadsheet, step away from the, the uh, computer, just go do something different. And when you said about Spielberg, driving a car you brought back I have something I haven't done in a long time but I I don't remember what I was working on but man I was stuck so I jumped in my car and was just driving and before I knew it I was in Cleveland uh, <laughs> didn't realize it I mean I I I was obviously I was driving I was I was cognizant of of the road, but I wasn't really conscious of really where I was going. I was just trying to figure this thing out. And that seemed to help clear my head and, and come up with an answer, albeit I lost four hours, four and a half hours of my day. But did you lose hours or did you gain the insights you needed? Was it worth the time? <laughs> uh, yes. I, I, as, soon, as soon as I said that, I went, oh, I, I yeah, I, I, I thank you for, for mentioning that because, yeah, it, it was wor well worth the time. Uh, and it did help solve. I do remember it did help solve that problem. I, w I was, I was, I was stuck in. But but then I think today is we're recording this on April 11th. Most of my accounting brethren who are in public accounting are seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, and they're just hoping it's not a train coming at them at full blast. <laughs> but. I, I have lived through an, uh, my fair share of of what we call busy season. I like to look at it as opportunity season because that's where we make most of our revenue and profits. But it is just inundated from the moment you walk in to the moment you leave of just left brain compliance work. And, and I, I did see, I, I was at an accounting firm in Maryland, I believe, 
And I was really kind of shocked because within the accounting firm, they had this room and it had a nameplate on it. It said relaxation room. I went, what? <laughs> I, opened the, <laughs> I opened the door. There's a lazy boy recliner in there and one of those trickling waterfalls. And I said, really? And I asked a few people around the firm, so tell me about this relaxation room. If we need to step away, we can go into this room 20, 30 minutes and just whether it's take a quick power nap or just step away from the spreadsheet so we can get our thoughts uh, back. So we can, as you said, so we can make more room so we can squeeze out that sponge and, and be able to soak in some more ideas and come up with some new, just getting away from it. That is so great. You know, as people, what we want to do is when we are in that optimistic, in the zone, we want to be in the zone. Right. Because when we're in the zone, things are flowing, we're happy, the work's getting done. And then there are also times, and these aren't bad times, because it's also an opportunity season, but there are times when we aren't in the zone, we're not getting things done, we're judgmental of ourselves and perhaps hating our lives for what it's looking like, we're beating ourselves up. And at that time, a power nap is a great thing because it stops that thinking mind that's in that negative place. And it sort of reboots. So a power nap, some people meditate. Meditate also quiets the thoughts. And that's why it's very uh, well embraced these days. Because it's a it's between sleeping and meditating. Stop that negative thought cycle and get you back into being in the zone. And that's the goal is how can I be in that zone? Because when you're in the zone, you're a magnet to opportunity. You know how it is. When you're when when things are going wrong, it's like you're a magnet to things going wrong. You could have the worst day possible and finally like, oh finally, I'm headed home and then have a flat tire. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but when things are going right, it's like like there's you don't have to try at all and the phone rings and can you do this for me and you know, the, you get an email, somebody else wants you to do something, and then you go to the store and they say, here, you walked in, you're the thousandth customer, you get the TV for free today, you know. And so you want to be in that place, that magnetic zone of opportunity where things are going your way. That, again, is building up that right side of the brain, or we could say build up that zone side of the brain, build up those opportunities more. And, um, and that is also realizing that there are transitions and crossroads that come when we're not expecting it and not to try to force them to make them be okay, but to listen to them and let them be our guide. So as I was saying in the film business, I was listening to those transitions and saying, something's up here, you know, for the last five years, when I was in the film business, I wasn't, I, it was a love-hate relationship because my values with the film business, they were starting to diverge. Um, I wanted to take more time to be at peace. I wanted to eat healthier. I wanted to have better relationships. And the relationship with the film business is a very... It's a very jealous relationship because the film business wants about 95% of your time and your life. 
And so there was a day that I went into the into the film business. I was on a job and it was a television show and you know, the producer had some feelings for me that I did not have for him in the same way. And um he had me let go in a way I had no I I'd never saw it coming. And in one day I was off the job and I went home. And I was sitting on my balcony, looking out over the Hudson River and the Palisades. And I said, that's it. I'm done with the film business. And it was one day, the day before, I thought the film business would be my life until retirement. Um, but in that day, it was that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, I said, I'm, I, that's, I just, I'm done. You know, not everyone has to take a big, huge change, but in my case, I did. But how did I know it was the right thing? Because I could have been a stupid mistake, you know? Could have been the stupidest thing I ever did. Like just, you know, react. Is it reaction or is it an attraction to my good? About a week later, I signed up for seminary. It's something that I had always considered, never saw where I'd fit in in my life, but I signed up for seminary, mm-hmm. and um, the next day, my church, somebody from my church called up, actually the minister, and said, we believe in you and what you're doing, so we're going to pay half the tuition of your, of your seminary. Wow. And I'm speaking to someone or some people listening now, you're going to get that confirmation if we listen, the world around us speaks to us and guides us, I believe. It's happened a lot for me in my life. And in that moment, I knew I was on the right track. I had family, I had friends telling me, stay in the film business, take some jobs, earn some money. But in that moment, I felt that the universe was telling me, you're doing the right thing. Keep going. And the first day that I sat in that chair at seminary, I I just, I found myself in the right place. I no longer felt like the square peg in the round hole. I felt like my whole life had prepared me. I was finally being who I was meant to be. And Mark Twain has that memorable, memorable quote. There, There are the two best days of a person's life. The first day is the day you're born. The second day is when you discover why. And there's such a release of stress. I know it happened to you. You were laid off, right? Right, yeah. And it looked like a big obstacle. Right. And look what happened. Caught me same thing caught me completely off guard. Next thing you know, I'm 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 unemployed going. I mean, I've left jobs before, but I've never been asked to leave a job before. And I was in this fog. <laughs> I, I was in this fog. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, we've eliminated your position in your department. And, uh, okay. Um, and, and I was in a fog for a couple, couple two or three days. And, and I remember someone, I don't remember who it was, but someone said, you're going to look back on this to be the best thing that could have ever happened to you. And, and you know, the person was right because I did, it allowed me three months to regroup to your point, to listen to myself, to listen to the, the environment around me. And that put me down a path. That put me 
down a journey that ultimately got me to where I am today uh, of owning my own business, my own speaking business, going out, having fun with audiences and, and, and teaching. If I hadn't been laid off, I may have not, I may have never become a teacher. And I look back. I look back on it, and what you know. To your point, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Even even you know, I, I've been divorced. The, the first Mrs. Margaritas. Um, we were married for about three years. We left Fort Myers, Florida, for Cleveland, Ohio. Long long story, but and then we got divorced. But I even look back on that time, and the divorce. It was very. I took it very bad, very badly. Uh, kind of, kind of. It was a very, very dark time in my life. Yeah. But look, looking back on it, if I never would have met her, I would have never gotten to Cleveland, gotten the case. I've, I, I've got what would have happened if I never left Florida? Where would I be, or would I be? And you know, everything happens for a reason. It's sometimes, sometimes it's, 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 it's hard to see the purpose of it but ultimately that that there is a purpose of it yeah and that's again living in that right right brain that considering there's an opportunity rather than looking at that as critical when a transition comes when a failure comes when a obstacle comes rather than looking at it critically and analytically shifting and saying this is an opportunity how can i make how can i how can I set up my life to make this opportunity uh, grow, to help the opportunity, to allow the new normal to come in rather than be critical of it and beating myself up and, and taking it out on me? But what if it's that the, the universe or God or your best life is actually calling to you can you listen and say, how can I help you build this so that I uh, allow myself to be guided through this to the opportunity that's ahead? I, I agree. I think where this, I think where this happiness comes from, you're making me think about this. And I tell people that in 2010 is when I went full-time with my business. I have not worked a day since then. You ask my wife, I work all the time. Um, the only way yeah. the only way she can get the, the only way she can get the phone away from me is take me to a country that doesn't have Wi-Fi uh, to, to stay connected. But I'm it's and I think I get that happiness because I'm helping people. Yeah. So here's the thing, and I, I hate to interject, but first, because we're talking to many of the people listening are accountants and engineers, I, I want to encourage that it doesn't mean you have to stop what you're doing and totally change to be something different. One of my clients that was an account came to me and she wasn't happy at the firm. She was very unhappy and she was thinking of, of leaving and moving on and doing something herself. And we started looking at her values. We did an assessment of what her actual, her top five strengths were. And in time, what we saw is that she was just a little off in what she was doing in the firm. And so she started talking to her superiors and just doing a little bit of tweaks with them as well as with her and her time there. 
And then she fit in to how she expresses herself perfectly and was able to use her strengths better and feel like she was expressing her values and living her values and not countering everything she wanted to be, but actually being in the place, she really adored the people she worked with and was now able to funnel herself in a better way. And so part of it is getting the help you need to to find where you're in your own way and how simple adjustments can be made to be either uncomfortable and unhappy or to be really just radiating joy by by doing by doing your job in ways where you can really let your talents flow out better and then you're more productive, you're more passionate, you're more fun, you're more magnetic to the opportunities and everybody's happier because the superiors are going to be happier seeing that you're doing you're more productive Living with purpose and, you know, accountants, I love talking to accountants and seeing their eyes brighten when talking about how they're helping their clients achieve their financial goals. And and lawyers who protect the rights of individuals or justice in the world. There's There's purpose everywhere. It's just finding out how to settle into where you are, where you're expressing your strengths. Because when you are like you, Peter, you're expressing your te- strengths, you're a teacher. And so it's easy. It gets easy. We want it to be easy. We want and well-being is easy when you're in the right place doing the right thing. I'm going to change one word you said. Versus easy, I'm just going to say that's when you're in your zone because you will work hard as you can when you're in that zone. And then it comes and to the point I guess it comes easier to you to do that uh, when you, when you find that that passion that you love. And you're right, accountants, lawyers, salespeople. I think everybody really wants to help their clients, their customers, the people they work with, the people they manage. It's And when we can do that in a way that it becomes second nature and we're always striving to get better, I think that could be, that's part of being being happy. It is. And what happens is when we're unhappy, we're in. We're focusing on ourselves because we're unhappy, and we're try, constantly trying to fix things. And so our focus is on self and turned inward, and it can end up being self-centered. But when we find ourselves doing what we love to do, suddenly we're looking out, out outward, outward. How can we help? Because now we're funneling that passion. We have that the drive, we are productive, and it's, I've got this, how can I help you? Let me give some, Let me give it away. I got this, let me give you, let me help you. I'm a salesperson, I've got something that's gonna help you and I know it's gonna help your life. Let me help you. I'm an accountant, I know how to help you ease your, your financial pain, let me help you. And so that's when we become outwardly focused and that's the biggest step as we as we mature how can we be the one to to help the world and when we are the one making a difference in our community that brings such joy to our heart it does it, it, it really really does and i think this is something that you taught me a while ago about 
knowing your audience. It's about them. It's not about me. And the more that we look at them and, and them being whether, like I said, somebody you work with, your customers, your clients, your family, whoever, once we were more outwardly focused versus inner focused, things, I, I'll go back. Maybe, maybe things become easier. I think, I guess, I guess I like the word. I, I think an easy, like the easy button on staples, but no, if things become easier, I, I, I guess it takes less work. It does. And that's the goal. And it really does happen that way. It just flows. It flows easier. And it comes about being in tune with what your personal strengths are, as well as what your passions are, as well as what your values are. And if your life is lined up with all of those, it does become easier because when you're asked to do a project, you don't have to study and figure it out because you've already got it innately in you. You may have to hone it. We're always honing our art of who we are. So we're stretching. Now, I was great in the film business. I have an excellent eye, and I was a fantastic set decorator. But it wasn't innately in me. And I could continue to do that job, and I would output great. But it was hard. There were, there were people that it just was who they were. They, they were living, breathing, drinking, eating, decorating. And now I live, breathe, drink. Everything about me is the life I'm living. And I can't stop reading it. I can't stop doing it. I can't stop it. It's everything I am. And you are, that's why your wife says you're working 24-7. It's not that you're working, you're having fun doing, living your life. It's your life. And so we want the people that are with us today and everyone to have that opportunity to really be in a tune and just doing what you're really enjoying doing because then helping others just becomes natural. It just becomes natural because it's fun. You're right. It is fun. So, Susanna, as we as we begin to, to wrap up this interview, if somebody's listening to this and they want to get in contact with you for you to help them, how will they find you? Oh, well, I have some live events that are happening in May and June, and uh, I have a book coming out. And if you're interested in attending a live event or being put on the list for to get the book, Manifest Your Big Best Life, Love What You Do, um, you can go to my website uh, at www.live-good-life.com or really just email me, Susanna, S-U-S-A-N-N-A, at live-good hyphen life.com Susanna at live hyphen good hyphen life.com and in the subject line write purpose and then I'll know that uh, you're listening into this broadcast and I will respond right back to you well that's great so and, and I'll also put that information in the show notes it'll be in the transcript for you I can't thank you enough uh, I love our conversation. I, I, I love the, the, the thoughts and, and things that you brought to the table to share with my audience. There, there are so many takeaways that, that, that you've given everybody here. 
wonderful stories. Uh, Susanna, thank you so very much. And uh, we will have to do this again. Uh, I'd love to. And, and go down a, a, another path because I have a feel. Well, we could talk for hours. I know. I know. We just got started. Yeah, I know. We, we're, now, we're just getting revved up on that super highway. We're just getting <laughs> revved up on that super highway. <laughs> That's right. Super highway of opportunity, opportunity season. And here's to everyone in the audience that's in the middle of their busy season and, uh, you know, might be working really, really super, super hard and just, uh, just uh, when you can, just take a moment out, even just to breathe. Just take a moment for yourself. Just to breathe. That's the best tip to leave my audience as we begin to as we sign off. So thank you again, Susanna. Greatly appreciate your time, and I'll be seeing you soon. I'll be seeing you soon. May I leave with a quote? Please do. Okay. This is by Daniel Burnham. Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's and women's blood and probably will themselves not be realized. Make big plans. Aim high in hope and work, remembering that a noble, logical diagram, once recorded, will not die. I would like to thank Susanna again for taking time out of her schedule to give us her thoughts on how to live the good life and sharing her stories about her time in Hollywood and working on the set of Sex and the City. In episode 51, I interview Aaron Dauber, who is the founder and CEO of Aaron Dauber Coaching and Consulting, a firm specializing in providing coaching, training, and leadership development to the accounting industry. She is also the CPA exam guru. And if you are studying for the CPA exam or planning on it in the near future, this is a must-listen-to episode. Thank you again for listening, and remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you begin to live the good life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.